Well, good morning, Church at Woodbine. Thank you. I love, I love it when people talk back to me. It's actually very refreshing. Um, I'm going to try not to step on that again. Uh, my name is Mike Carter, and it's so good to be here with you this morning. Quiero saludar a todos que hablan español en este edificio, en esta aula, esta mañana. Me fascina como ustedes hacen la iglesia los domingos y como hablan en español y en inglés. Entonces, gracias por ayudarme con eso esta mañana. Um, if you don't know this about me, I grew up in Bogota, Colombia, South America. And so being around internationals and Spanish speakers just fills me with joy. And today, I get the privilege of filling in for Pastor Doug. He is sick this morning. I got a call last night uh, from him asking if I could fill in. And so your prayers can be with Doug as he's on the mend. Now, I know that some of you guys don't know who I am. My name is Mike. I pastor Kairos, which is our midweek gathering. I see a lot of you who come uh, and join me on Tuesday nights at Brentwood Kairos is a young adult gathering where we hope to raise up a generation for the name and renown of Jesus. And it's a place where we want people to feel like they find refreshing in the middle of the week that fires them up to pursue Jesus in all of their life. And uh, we're back actually next week. So this is our first week back. We took a month break. And so this is a great opportunity for me to get used to preaching again. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to come and join you today. Now, if you've got a copy of the scriptures, why don't you turn with me to John 3.16. I know we just read it. And as you guys turn there, I want to talk a little bit about the nature of this verse. So I love going to the beach. Um, my family, I've got four kids, my wife Tabitha and I, we love going to the beach. And every year we pack everybody up in our minivan, which is getting harder and harder as we continue adding kids. Um, and we go down I-65 to the Florida Panhandle because there's something refreshing for our souls when we get in front of that blue water on that white sand. We just feel like the world just kind of just goes away. Just staring out at the majesty of the ocean reminds us how small we are and how big God is. It's a wonderful season for us every time we get the chance to go down there. But the other day I was talking to a friend who lives uh, in that area, and I found out something that horrified me. You know what it was? Is that this person never goes to the beach, even though they live near the ocean. Like, what is that, right? Like, we love it so much that we go through incredible traffic, sometimes thunderstorms, even through tornadoes at times, so we can get there, and they never go. It's because it's always there, and they get used to it. And before I get too upset about it, I realize that I, too, do the same thing here in Nashville, Tennessee. I have a hot tub in my house, okay? Now, before you think we're, like, so rich and bougie, like that pastor's salary, let me just tell you, it's an old hot tub. We didn't even know that it existed when we bought it. Like, we vaguely knew that it was there when we bought the house, but it was, like, underneath our deck, Enclosed in some, uh, fiberglass, uh, like housing, like there was this kind of like, like, uh, it almost looked like ceiling, uh, panels, like around it. 
And the space was disgusting. It was filled with spiders. We were like, we'll never go in there. And during the pandemic, we were so bored that we said, let's just see if this thing works. So we cleaned it up, opened it up to the open air, and found out we had a workable hot tub at our house. And during the pandemic, we sat in that thing almost every day, okay? Because we had nothing else to do. You remember what that was like? Like, you're at home. You have nothing to do. So we were like, we have a hot tub. We're going to sit in this thing every day. We did. Now... In 2023, I can't tell you the last time I got in that thing, right? You may be like judging me for that, but I'm sure you have something like that in your life where you have something that's incredible, but you never use it because it's become familiar. It's become common. You take it for granted. And what I believe about the passage that we're looking at today, John 3.16, is that It is the most incredible explanation of the gospel. It's the clearest verse of the gospel, and yet we take it for granted. We take it for granted because it's always been there. Many of us have memorized it, right? In fact, let's do a real quick uh, show of hands. How many of you have memorized John 3.16? Okay, most of us in the room. We could probably recite it together, but we won't because that's weird. Um, But we all know it. We've seen it uh, on billboards at football games. Tim Tebow had it on his eye black during the national championship game. We know this verse. And yet, it is so common and so familiar that we take it for granted. Let me just give you a quick uh, confession. I've been pastoring and preaching for almost 20 years, and I've never preached on John 3.16. Why? Because there are so many other deeper passages to preach. When I preached through the book of John, we preached through it like week by week. I realized that I had given that Sunday to one of my friends to preach. And so today, I want us to take a moment to really look at it and unpack what this really means, because there are some of us who become so familiar with the gospel that we take it for granted. We're always looking for the next thing, but we've lost sight of the most important thing. There's others others of us in this room who we've been near Christians, or we've heard about Jesus, but we've never really internalized the message of John 3.16. And it's not really become part of our identity as people. And for you, there's going to be an opportunity for you to respond to that at the end of the service. But let me read it to you one more time. John 3.16 says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his, own, his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, to understand this text, we have to go into the context. Understand what it really uh, was set in because this verse didn't just come out of nowhere. It wasn't just something that just fell out of heaven, fully formed in its in its fullness. This is something Jesus said in the middle of a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he was afraid of what people would think if he was seen with Jesus. And the reason for that is because Nicodemus had a lot to lose. He was one of the most important Bible teachers in Israel. 
He was on the ruling council of the Sanhedrin, which was the main religious body that organized and oversaw the people underneath Roman rule. So he's a big-time spiritual leader. In fact, the Bible tells us that he is the teacher of Israel, which means that he's the one who everybody goes to listen to when it comes to teaching. So he's kind of like uh, your favorite preacher that you listen to on a podcast, right? So he's the, he's the one that you want to listen to more than anybody else. He's the one you, you go and say, what do they really think about God's word and his law so that I can live it out? So I don't know who that is for you. That might be like David Platt. It might be uh, John Mark Comer. It might be, uh, I don't know, Matt Chandler. Maybe somebody like that. You're like, I love this person's preaching and teaching. This is who Nicodemus is. And he comes to Jesus because he has questions about how Jesus is teaching because he recognizes that Jesus isn't just a good teacher. He must be sent from God because of the signs that he is doing and the miracles that he is doing. So Nicodemus is intrigued by Jesus because he says, this looks like something different. And I want to know how to do what you're doing, Jesus. So he comes to Jesus And Jesus tells him something that is astounding. He says, the only way that you can find eternal life is if you are born again. So that phrase, being born again, is something that that Jesus coined. It's a term that Jesus used first. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, you need to rethink how you think about God. Which is astounding, because here's the deal. This is the very first time that Nicodemus has ever been told that he's not good enough, and he doesn't have the answers, and he does not have the qualifications to get to God. Jesus is telling him, you have to think about your relationship with God through a completely different lens. You can't hope in the law or in your birth to get you to heaven, which was countercultural. You know why? Because Jewish people at this time believed that the only way you could get to God is if you were born into the right family. If you're born into the right people. That if you were someone who was born a Jew, that was God's covenant people. And then to make it all the way through, you needed to be good enough in your activity. You needed to work hard enough to be somebody who fulfilled the law which wasn't just the Ten Commandments. It was all 613 of them. And Nicodemus is really good at following the rules. And Jesus says, it's not enough. You need to be born of the Spirit. Can you guys say the word Spirit? Okay. A lot of us are very apprehensive when we talk about spiritual things sometimes. And the reason for that is because we're a lot like Nicodemus. You know, I think one of the things that's hard for me is a, as a pastor's kid. So my dad was a missionary. He was a pastor. He was a church planner. And he was a big deal in our, in our community in Columbia. He was kind of like the Mike Glenn of Bogota. So he was kind of like the person everybody knew. And I was his son, which meant that we were always the first ones to go to church and the last ones to leave. My whole life as a child was going, dad, can we go to lunch? Like literally, that's all we would tell him. Like, can we go? Some of you guys who grew up in church, whose parents were really involved, you know what this feels like. If there are any kids in the room, you're probably thinking that right now. Like, when is lunchtime? For us, we were always the last ones to leave. We were the first ones to be there. We had to go to Sunday school. Every week, we never took a week off because that was our life. 
And there was a rebellion in my heart against it. In fact, I remember uh, my Sunday school teacher bringing my parents into the room saying, I can't deal with this kid because he's constantly correcting me. Okay? Because I was like, I, I was so familiar with it. I wanted to make sure that, I, that they were teaching the right thing. But I didn't know if I really believed it. And it all kind of came to a head when I went away to college. I went as far away from Bogota, Colombia, as I could find. I went to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Has anybody been to Minneapolis? Okay. I'd never seen snow before. (laughs) I got a lot of snow in my past now. In Minneapolis, it snows starting like November 1st all the way to about May 1st, okay? You forget what grass looks like. It's, it's completely gone for like six months. And the reason I went there is because I didn't know anybody. Nobody knew my dad. And I got to just live my life as myself. And what I found is that my faith was not founded on Jesus. It was founded on my parents' faith in Jesus. I was Jesus adjacent my whole life. Some of us are like that here in the South. We can be born in the families that are religious. We can go to church because we don't go to the mosque. We go to, we go to, to camps or retreats or worship services, and it's so familiar. And today, I just want to remind us what it really means to be people who live by faith in Jesus Christ, who internalize John 3.16, that it becomes a deep-centered part of our life and our story and who we are in our very identity. Because if we're going to be honest today, I've got two deep concerns for the, for the church in America. And by the church in America, I mean my own heart. Because I can fall back into these things too. The first is this. If I'm not careful, I can be an atheist that goes to church. Even as a pastor. What I mean by that is that I can live as if God does not exist. I can solve all my problems myself, and God has no input at all on anything I do. In fact, a lot of my schemes during the week are me trying to find a way where I don't need God anymore. If I can have enough money, if I can have enough saved up, If I don't have any conflict, if I don't have any struggle, if everybody's not sick, man, then I don't need God. And many of us live our life constantly trying to get to a place where we don't need God anymore. It's living like an atheist, where we go to church, but then God has very little impact on the way we live on the day-to-day. The second area I think is very dangerous for us as Christians is to live life not as an atheist, but as a witch. Witchcraft is on the rise in Middle Tennessee. One of my neighbors is a witch. And we can go, oh, wow, they're bad people worshiping the devil. But often we treat our Christian faith a lot like Harry Potter rather than people that follow Jesus. Because we pray, but our prayers are a lot more like spells, trying to get God to do something for us than actually submitting ourselves to him. We want God to submit to us. And I just, I mean, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes, but I'll just say this for me. I treated the sinner's prayer almost like a spell where I'd say, like, if I say this, then I get heaven. We do that to people. Hey, all you got to do is say this. Just even, I'll just let you repeat it after me. 
But Jesus never once asked anybody to pray that prayer. Jesus asked people to follow him, to give their lives to him, to believe in him. And yes, Romans 10, 9 and 10 does say, hey, this is how salvation works. If you believe in your heart that that God raised Jesus from the dead, if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you will be saved. But it does not say that this is something you can do to get out of being part of God's family or to be fully his. Those elements of a belief and confession are tied deeply to being somebody who surrenders themselves to Jesus. And our church is filled with people who refuse to do that, myself included. So what does it mean to be somebody who believes the gospel? John 3.16, let's look at the verse. We find three major things that God says about reality in John 3.16. The first one is this, that there is a God, full stop. There is a God who created the universe, who loves us. Man, God loves you. Just think about that for just a minute. God loves you. The world is not simply a place that God created and then left behind. God is not a hall monitor looking to get you in trouble when you step outside the lines. God loves you. He loves you. He created you. He cares about you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what keeps you up late at night. He knows your trauma. He knows your pain. God knows you and he loves you. Second great truth you find in the text is that you are perishing without God. That's what Jesus says. He says, anybody who believes will not perish, which means that at some point we were going to perish. And if God had not sent Jesus, our destiny would be hell. So if we don't take the offer God gives us, we are perishing. We're dying. Just like that Christmas tree that doesn't know that it's been cut, still lives for a month in your house. We're big fans of like live Christmas trees. It's kind of sad, actually. It's perishing. Doesn't look like it's perishing, but it is. And one day, we wrap that thing up and send it to the curb because it no longer has a life to live in our home. Same thing is true for everybody who does not know Jesus. We all have an expiration date without him. Which brings us to the third truth, which is the good news of the gospel is that anybody who believes in Jesus will not perish, but will have eternal life. And this idea of eternal life is an important one because sometimes we flatten that out, only make it heaven. We're like, man, get eternal life. So when this life is over, then you can like run over to the next life and you can have an even better life there with God. It may be a little bit boring because you're just going to be singing songs in heaven, but like, but at least it's not hell. So you want to make sure that you get your, your, your escape plan from hell and go to heaven. And if you pray the prayer, then you can get there. But that's not the idea of eternal life that you find in the Bible. Here's the, the idea of eternal life that you find in the Bible. It's this. You have a life that is connected to God forever. And it starts right now. Right now. The life is not a life for the future moment. It's the life right now to infinity and beyond. Buzz Lightyear style is a life that will be forever. 
And God wants you to enter into it. And the, the way that you get there is by the word believe. Believe. Can you say the word believe with me? Believe. believe. Anybody know the word in Spanish? Creer, right. Do we have anybody who speaks a different language than English or Spanish in the room? Raise your hand. What is the word believe in your language? Nobody wants to say anything. All right. That one bombed. All right, we're going to continue going. All right, believe, creer. In Greek, the word is pistis. Pistis. And it carries with it this idea of being someone who's dependent or trusting. It's not simply intellectual set, like, man, I got all the right ideas about God. It's trusting in God, trusting him. And not simply trusting him that he's a good God or that he's kind God or that he's a real God, but that he can do what he says that he's going to do. That's what the idea pistis carries, that God can do what he says he can do. And it's rooted here in this text in what immediately precedes John 3.16, which is John 3, 14, and 15. I want to read that to you right now because I think we, we miss this sometimes. It says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. That's the context Jesus is pulling from. Nicodemus knew it because he probably taught about it. But it's a story that you find in Numbers chapter 21. Story of the people of Israel who are walking through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. If you guys want to turn with me to that passage, we can look at it right now. Uh, in Numbers chapter 21, we find the people of Israel uh, just having conquered an enemy nation. And then they, were, they turn against God. So look with me in verse 4. So Numbers 21, verse 4, it says this. Then they set out from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea, to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. That's The story sounds kind of rough, so let's unpack this, because it seems almost like God was like, okay, you guys are talking back, I'm going to send some snakes to you guys, and you're all going to die. But what you find here is you find God revealing the inward, invisible reality of their hearts so that they would repent and believe. He takes something that's invisible, that only he can see, the rebellion against God, and makes it visible so everybody can see what's really happening underneath the surface when he sends the snakes, hoping to draw his people back to himself. But I want to point out a couple things here that are part of our story when it comes to believing in God. We can get impatient with God. That's what the people of Israel are feeling. The reason they're impatient is because God is taking a long time and fulfilling all of his promises to them. And so they go against God, even though they had just won a battle. And even though God's providing food for them miraculously, they go to God and they say, God, you're a bad God. And you aren't trustworthy. This food isn't real food. We wish that we had real food and real water and we could be in control of our own story. Never mind the fact that God rescued them from slavery. 
and provided for them miraculously and gave them food every day. He gave them manna, food literally from heaven that they could cook and eat that was sweet to the touch or sweet to the taste. He gave them meat every night. Basically, there was a quail herd that would stampede through the, through the, the encampment every night where they could grab food from the sky and then cook it. And God was giving them water miraculously, sometimes making water that was bitter, making it sweet, or making water literally come out of the rock to give them something to drink. And yet, none of that was enough. They were impatient, and they began to complain against God. And here you see the unbelieving heart, where we say, God, what you've given me is not enough. And and church, I'm convicted every time I read about that, because I do the same thing. When God makes me wait, I get impatient. And I look at his provision and I go, wow, the things you've given me, that's just not enough for me. Don't you understand? I deserve better. And it's against that unbelief that God speaks and acts. And here he sends snakes against his people to reveal to them their absolute need for a savior. And when the people begin to die because the snakes are venomous, God tells Moses to put in the middle of a camp a snake made out of bronze. And he says, this is the deal, Moses. Anybody that comes to the snake and simply looks at it will be healed. So track with me here. Anybody who got bit by a snake who was dying, the only antidote for them was simply to go to the middle of the camp and to look upon the snake so they could find healing for their bodies. But the Bible tells us some didn't. Why? Because they did not believe. And the same thing is true for us as we consider this verse, John 3.16, where God says, whosoever, whoever wants, they can come and believe in Jesus and find healing for their souls, there are many who hear it and don't come to it. And so in the little bit of time I have left, I simply want us to say, that's not going to be us. We're not going out like that. We're going to believe the gospel, and we're going to trust in what Jesus said about us, that God loves me. I am perishing without him. And that if I believe in him, I will have eternal life. And I'm not going to be impatient with this timing. I'm going to trust him. So, church, I want us to respond to that right now. Um, Daniel, you want to come up? I'm just going to create a moment where we can respond to what God may be leading you in what he might be doing in your heart today? Have you come to a place where you've taken the truth of the gospel and it's become commonplace and you've forgotten its meaning? Have you become in a rut where you just go to church and you do spiritual things, but you've forgotten what it means to really trust God with your life? Are you putting your hope in a prayer that you prayed, or are you putting it in Jesus? 
Are you going through the motions? Or have you really held firmly to Jesus Christ with everything you have? Are you scheming ways that you don't need him anymore? Or are you living a life of faith where if Jesus doesn't come through, you've got nothing left? Would you just close your eyes and open your hands? I want to read John 3.16 over you. And as I read it, would you just like hold fast to it? For God, love the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe that? Some of us, we do, but we need to come back to it. So today I want you to just say, I'm back, God. I'm holding fast to it. I also believe that there's at least one person in this room who's never believed it. I've been that person. Today, if it's you, don't leave without talking to somebody about Jesus. Don't leave without saying, Jesus, I need you. It's the best decision you could ever make. Where you say, God, I trust you. I trust you with everything I've got. All of my life. Because you are enough. I'm going to pray over you right now. Jesus. Our hearts can get so hard because we're busy. We're trying to make it through the day. We're just fitting you in in parts. But God, I pray that that would not be us. I pray that we would be people who consistently come back to you that we would not be people who live near the ocean but never go to the beach that we would not be people who hear about your word and then leave it at church but that we would be people who say god whatever your question is that you want to ask me my answer is yes lord yes lord it's in jesus name we pray